Oh, heart, something you need to do, my Lord, this evening. Amen. Buddy Exodus tonight, Exodus chapter number 25, Exodus chapter number 25, begin reading in verse number 10, Exodus chapter 25 and verse number 10. While you're turning, let me say this, I am thankful this evening for this morning and uh, what the Lord did, and uh, I was talking to a couple of friends of mine today, I told him there's none telling. Uh, what all the Lord really did this morning. And uh, you say, Preacher, I don't know about that. Services like that, you just never know what the Lord might be doing in the background. Right. And uh, I sure am thankful just to be a part of it. Thankful for what it did in my heart this morning, my life. Boy, I was encouraged. Hope you was. And uh, boy, we need in these days somebody to pick up a mantle. Right. And uh, I appreciate all those that had a mantle left behind that's able to be picked up this morning, this evening. And uh, But tonight, I want to deal with the tabernacle again. Give me just a few minutes real quick before we read our text. And I'll give you a little bit, remind you what we looked at last week. Uh, we looked at the priority of the uh, Ark of the Covenant, how that it was the tallest piece of furniture in the tabernacle. Uh, we talked about how that it was uh, uh, about three and three quarters foot, uh, three and three quarter feet long, two and a quarter feet wide, and two and a quarter feet high. We talked about how they were made of wood, covered pure gold, points to Christ and his nature. Uh, so we talked about the priority of the tabernacle. Then we also talked about the picture of the tabernacle. That's what we ended with last week. Uh, we talked about how there was three arcs in the Bible, Noah's Ark, Moses' Ark, and the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, we looked at all three of those, how that it was a place of safety, a uh, place of deliverance, how that you were placed in the ark, and then in the pitch, how that was a picture of the blood and uh, how that God put us in Christ, covered us with the blood. That was two immutable things that could not change. And what a blessing that was. Now tonight, I want to continue with the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, we'll see a few more things, Lord willing. And uh, then we'll, we'll move on into the mercy seat maybe next week. or Well, I have to cover, take a couple of weeks to probably cover some of the contents of the Ark. Uh, but we'll get there. Then we'll move to the mercy seat. But verse number 10, the Bible said, I'm not asking you to stand. I'll read several verses. The Bible said, Exodus 25 and verse number 10, They shall make an ark of shittim wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof. Cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And a cubit and a half the height thereof. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shalt thou overlay it. Shall make upon it a crown of gold round about. Thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof. Two rings shall be in one side of it, two rings on the other side of it. 
Thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, overlay them with gold, and thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be born within. Staves shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. Thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray it help us tonight as we study your word together. Lord, I pray it speak to hearts. Lord, help us take these truths and apply them to hearts and lives. Lord, I thank you for this morning for what you've done in our hearts. And Lord, only eternity will tell what all was done in the days in this day. Lord, I pray just for a little while. Would you meet with us once again? Well, this is another time. Lord, this is another service. Lord, we need a fresh touch, fresh anointing. Lord, just like the children of Israel, every day had to have fresh manna. Lord, that's what I'm asking for tonight, a fresh word and a fresh touch. Lord, I pray you do that that only you can. Lord, if they've been one of the midst tonight, lost on them without you, Lord, I pray you'd save them for everlasting too late. If they've been one discouraged, God, I pray to encourage your heart tonight. Help us now just for a little while. We'll thank you and we'll praise you. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Now, look with me if you would, verse number 11. I'm not spending too much time. We don't have time to recap too much, but... Uh, verse 11 is where we'll pick up this evening. The Bible said, Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shall thou overlay it, and shall make upon it a crown of gold round about. Now, I, I want you to know, so I'm interested in that last little phrase, and shall make upon it a crown of gold uh, round about. Now, uh, here we find that this Ark of the Covenant uh, had to have a crown Round about it. I'm not going to make the same mistake I did last time. I'm going to keep that mercy seat on it so I don't lose nothing. But you come look at it after a while. And, and, and they kindly portrayed that a little bit. But uh, round about the edge, the top edge, is a crown. Uh, uh, we've seen that at the table of showbread. Uh, it was almost like molding, almost sort of thing. But uh, they made a crown of gold uh, round about the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, we know a little bit about go about crowns. And... Uh, we understand that you and I don't typically uh, wear a crown. What, what a king wears a crown. Royalty uh, wears a crown. That, and God instructed that they make this ark, this ark of the covenant, and that they put a crown around uh, uh, about it. Now, crowns in your Bibles are always symbols of sovereignty and of power. It's a symbol uh, of power and authority. And sovereignty. Thank God. Let me just stop and say this. I'm glad Revelation 19's in your Bible. Have. And when he comes back, he's coming, the Bible said, with many crowns. Isn't that right? Uh, because he is King of Kings uh, and Lord of Lords. Now, in this sense, the Ark of the Covenant uh, pictures Christ in the office uh, of King. Now, you remember several months ago, we looked at uh, the three offices in the Bible, the three things that you could have uh, uh, in the Old Testament economy, I guess you could say. Uh, uh, you had prophet, priest, and king. Now, we've already established that Christ fulfills all three of those, and he's the only one that could do that. Uh, but here we're going to find out that the Ark of the Covenant pictures him as king. It holds a crown, uh, a crown of gold round about it. It talks of his sovereignty, of his deity, uh, of his power and his authority. Now, there's three main offices we mentioned already, to which one would be anointed. Now, we looked at that a little bit when we talked about 
<coughs> the golden candlestick, how that oil was put into the central shaft and fed the rest. And we talked about Christ as the anointed one, the Messiah. That's what the phrase Messiah means, the anointed one. And uh, so there's three things that one would be anointed, prophet, priest, and king. Now, we've looked before, he holds all three, but I want you to see them tonight as they're displayed in the tabernacle. Let me give you my point. Some of you are writing stuff down. I better give you my point before we get too excited. I want you to know first of all, the potentate. Now, you say, preacher, I don't know what that means. Well, I'll tell you what it means. It means supreme authority, the most powerful, the greatest of the greatest. And that's what he is, thank God. There was prophets that were anointed. There was priests that were anointed. And there were kings that were anointed. But there's never been uh, but one man uh, that could be anointed on all three. Yeah, there were some that were prophets and priests, but they weren't kings. Uh, they were some kings, but they weren't prophets or priests. Uh, so the old Christ was the only one that fulfilled uh, all three of these. No wonder he's referred to as the Messiah or the anointed one. Now, let's see him as prophet. Can we notice uh, you remember in the outer court, the, the main structure, 75 feet wide, 150 foot long, uh, the outer court of the tabernacle. These two pieces of furniture out there, there's a brazen altar as well as the laver of cleansing. Now, at the brazen altar, we said several times now, that's where blood was shed. Uh, and there we see Christ as prophet. Now, you said, preacher, I don't know about that. How do you get that? We've said multiple times over the last several weeks that at the brazen altar, that's a picture of Calvary. That's a picture of sacrifice. That's where Christ shed his blood. You know what a prophet is? He's one that comes to man with a message from God. Isn't that right? What greater message has ever been told than that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. How about have everlasting life? And that happened at Calvary. We, you've said before, you've heard it said before, and I have as well, that actions speak louder than words. And boy, I'm thankful for Romans 5, 8, but God commit his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And I'd be thankful to know that God loved me. But thank God at Calvary he proved his love. Isn't that right? And so at the altar at Calvary we see him as prophet. We see him as one that comes from God with God's message for man. The brazen altar points to his first coming and his death at Calvary. It was there that he purchased our redemption and delivered to sinful man the message of the grace of God. What about that? All throughout the Old Testament, no mention that no, the grace of God was not. While it was there, the Bible said Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I know that. But it was law, law, law. But thank God at Calvary, God sent his prophet. With all my soul, I'm about to come unglued. With arms outstretched to give the man the message of God's mercy and grace. And we see in the brazen altar a picture of Christ as prophet. As we move on through the outer court, we go past the altar, go past the labor of cleansing. And we move into the holy place, we find a picture of Christ as priest. Now, you say, preacher, how do you get that? Notice this, a priest, if a prophet is the one that comes from God with a message for man, a priest is one that intercedes for the people. 
And He's right at this moment. Christ Himself uh, is in heaven interceding for those of us uh, who would believe. Now, uh, we begin our relationship with Christ at the Blaze Brazen Altar. That's where we got saved. That's where we come through the way, the gate, and we come by the way of the altar. And, but then as we move through the tabernacle, uh, we find ourselves in the holy place. Now, uh, watch this. As we move on and grow in grace, Move into the holy place. Remember what's in there? A beautiful, beautiful picture of our salvation. Now, coming to the holy place, first thing you come to, that table of showbread. Isn't that amazing how, how that you begin outside the tabernacle? Come through the, the come through the gate. Uh, come by Calvary. Come by the Word of God. The laver of cleansing. Enter in the holy place. And there you feast around the Word of God. Now, oh my soul, I, I'm seeing some of that. It excites me. Uh, I'm seeing some young people, John, getting their Bible and studying and digging. That's exciting. You know what's happening? Uh, they're growing in grace. They're getting closer to the Lord. I promise you, you can't get in that Bible and God not begin to work in your life. It just can't help it. Uh, you can't get excited about the Scriptures and God not begin how to work and move in your life. And I, I'm seeing that in some of the young people right now. And that's what happens as you move through. You begin to uh, get in your Bible and we eat and feast around the Word of God. Not only is that golden candlestick there but uh, we also know that the golden candlestick uh, or not only the table of showbread but the golden candlestick is there. Uh, they begin walking in the light of the Holy Spirit uh, growing in grace and realizing that Christ is our interceder and they begin to intercede on the behalf of others. Uh, uh, this is no, this how we to know Him uh, as our priest in heaven as the one that keeps us uh, day by day through His Spirit and through through his word. Do you see that? Begin to talk outside, move into the gate. Uh, we met him at the at the Calvary as we got saved. Uh, cleaned yourself up in the word of God. And then Jessica, you progress immediately from there to eating and feasting on the word of God. Then as you do that, you know what happens. Uh, you've cleaned your life up through the word of God. You begin to study and dig. And I, I, I just can't get out of this, but I've had several of them Kirk here recently. And here's what they'd say. They'd say, Preacher God, I just want to do something for the Lord. I don't know what I can do, but I just want to do something. He's got to be something. God, help me. That excites me. You get to want to do something, He'll find you something. Isn't that right? And they begin to grow and they begin to get closer. And the more they'll get in that Bible, I know. The more that God will begin to lead them by His Spirit. And it won't be long. They get to see in Christ and realize that He's interceding for them. And they'll get to intercede for somebody else. And before long, what they find out, they find out, John that he's the one that's keeping them by his spirit and by his word. That's right, friend. Uh, they get to figuring out that when they mess up, there's the Holy Ghost. Uh, they convict their heart. They get to realize that when they mess up and when they fall short, there's a Word of God that gives them exactly what they need. And when they need encouraging, there's a Bible that is there to encourage them. When they need correcting, uh, it's there to correct. When they need uh, uh, exhorting, it's there to exhort. Uh, uh, everything you need is found in that Bible. I had a man tell me one time, this won't cost you nothing. Uh, I had a man tell 
at me one time. He said, you'd do better to worship the God of that Bible. He said, hey, you almost worship that Bible. Here's what I told him. I said, that's that Bible is where you find the God of that Bible. Isn't that right? It contains the God of that Bible. Oh, yes, friend. And they begin to realize, and we begin to realize that as we come into the holy place, we see him as our priest that intercedes on our behalf and keeps us through his spirit and through his word. But then, as we enter behind the veil into the holy of holies, we see Christ as king. And guess what's waiting? As soon as you go in, we see the Ark of the Covenant surrounded top of that crown of gold. Reminds us he is our potentate. He is our king of kings and lord of lords. We see him as the sovereign, as the one and only potentate whose will and commands are absolute. Let me tell you, let me tell you what the Holy of Holies is. God help me. The Holy of Holies is this. It's when a man, woman, boy, or girl gets to the place that they completely and totally submit their will and their life to the king of all kings. That's what the holy place is. The outer court is where sacrifice is made. The inner court, the, the holy, holy place, that's where, that's where that's where service is done. When you get into the Holy of Holies, that's where submission takes place. For the Holy of Holies, you see Him as the authority. See Him as the supreme. You see Him as the sovereign. God, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I tell you this, there's very few Christians, and I, I, I believe I can back this up, there's very few Christians that ever completely surrender their will to the King of Kings. Yeah. And Lord of Lords. That I know a lot, John, and they're saved, they're on their way to heaven, but they ain't never left the outer court. They're saved, they're in Christ, but that's as far as they've got. They've never yeah. grew. Then I know some, and they've grown, and they're they're doing something for the Lord, but they're still in that holy place. Oh, but what a special sacred place when you completely and totally submit your will to the God of all glory. Yeah. Watch this. M. R. Dehan said it like this. Here's what he said. We are to go on to maturity until we have crowned him Lord of all in our hearts and in our lives and have enthroned him as king of all our being, as our sovereign captain, holy and completely surrendered to his absolute will and command. We are to acclaim him as absolute king of our lives. How few believers have entered this experience of full surrender, of absolute yielding, to Christ is King and Lord of their lives and all that they are and possess. Too many have stopped at the altar of salvation but never seen to go any farther. Others have entered the holy place and are rendering service to Him but have never completely yielded and dedicated their all to Him as Lord and absolute master of their lives. What a sad truth. How few of us have ever come to the place that we absolutely and totally said, Lord, my life is yours. Everything I have is yours. Oh, yeah. Boy, some bogging down right there a little bit, ain't it? How sad of a truth. How few of us have come to the place that not just not just our possessions, not just, but everything, everything that I am to be able to say, Lord, it's yours. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. We pick on husbands and wives all the time and say, uh, I was picking on Allie and Noah last night, I guess, we. Allie came over and looked at them goats, and she said, I want some, and Noah said no. And I said, Allie, just remember, what's his is yours, and what's yours is yours. I, 
But that's how we look at our relationship with Christ sometimes. Yes. Right? We know the same. What's, he, what's mine is hers, and what's hers is mine. We know that. that what, you know what God's really interested in? What's mine is His, and what's His is His. Yeah. He's interested in absolute and total surrender. Right. What is it? You say, oh, preacher, do I have to do that? No, you absolutely don't. You don't. Right. You don't. But oh, it's so special. You get in there, John, to the place that you finally give him everything. It's just a 15 by 15 by 15 room. And it's just you and him all by yourself. I believe it'd be worth it, don't you? What a, what a, what a special, sacred place. Get to the place you crown him Lord of everything that you are and have. Watch this. We see the potentate. No swim with the plan. Now, we've made our way in just the last few minutes. We've looked at all three compartments or rooms of the tabernacle. We began at the outer court, progressing the holy place. Finally, we made our way to the holy of holies. Now, you remember when we first started this study, we saw that it was God who gave these plans to Moses and he instructed him minute detail how to construct the tabernacle. And over and over again, here's what it say. According to the pattern. Remember that? We talked about that. According to the pattern. So, Three compartments or rooms, if you would, the outer court, holy place, holy of holies. Well, if God instructed it to be like that, there must be a reason. And we saw a minute ago, the outer court shows us Christ as prophet. The holy place shows us Christ as priest. Holy of holies shows us Christ as king. But I believe there's another thing we can see from that too. Would it be safe to say, now the tabernacle was a place that God could dwell with man. Remember that? place that the Holy of Holies was where God would dwell with man. Only the great high priest could enter in to the very presence of God. Now, we know that was needed for one reason. Genesis chapter, beginning, God created heaven and earth, God created man. You remember the Bible said the cool day, God would walk and talk with Adam. Remember that? But then, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. God no longer came and walked and talked with Adam. Put a curse upon man, put a curse upon Satan, put a curse upon the earth. And man had to work by the sway of his brow. Remember that? God no longer came and talked to him and walked with him in the cool of the day. Because God could not fellowship with sin. God's holy, God's righteous, and God cannot have fellowship with sin. So we come to Exodus, we find that God instructed Moses to form a tabernacle so that God once again could dwell with man. God help me. And when he did, he said, you're going to have to build it with three compartments, three rooms. Got to be an outer court. Got to be a holy place and a holy of holies. Got to think about that this week. I'll show you something. First tabernacle. Well, let me just say this it becomes clear that God desired to dwell in a house of three rooms. When God created Adam, he created him as a three-room dwelling place for himself. And he said, I don't know about that. The Bible said that God created all, all the, the, the creeping things and fires of the air and all this. You, you, you know, the, the cattle of the field and the fish of the sea and all that. But when it came to man, the Bible said that he formed him out of the dust of the earth. And what it say, breathe into his nostrils. The breath of life, and that next little phrase is real important. And man became a living soul. Yeah. Only thing in creation 
that became a living soul. Now, I'm, about to, I'm about to really upset you. I've had people all my life say, Preacher, don't you reckon there'll be dogs in heaven? Absolutely not. Don't you reckon there'll be? I'll bust kindreds, but don't you reckon goats will be? No, they won't. Because God didn't breathe in their nostrils the breath of life and then become a living soul. All right? The Bible said, let us make man in our own image. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Now, you don't have to agree with me. I don't believe that means that God looks like I do. I believe it means God's a triune being. Father, Son, Holy Ghost. And man was created a triune being, body, soul, and spirit. You with me? Yeah. I believe that's what he's saying. So God created Adam a three-room dwelling place, if you would, body, soul, spirit. Come to the tabernacle, he said, you have to have an outer court. You have to have a holy place. You have to have a holy place. You know what he said? I'll dwell in the holy of holies. All right? Now stay with me. I'm going somewhere. I promise. I promise we're getting somewhere if you'll stay with me. Watch this. All right. So God created Adam with body, soul, and spirit. A trinity in which he was created in the very image of God. He was created as a tabernacle in which God could dwell. But Adam sinned. The Lord departed because he will not dwell with sin. But, God hit me, when the last Adam came, y'all get that right here in just a minute. God created Adam, body, soul, spirit. You know what Christ did? The Bible said he was made flesh and dwelt among. You know what he had? Body, soul, and spirit. And he did what the first Adam could not do. He lived sinless upon the earth. All right? You know what happened for the first time since Adam God had a had a fleshly, a body, tabernacle to which he could dwell because there was no sin, there was no guile, there was no filth, there was no, there was, he was perfect, he was pure, and God could dwell in him. He, in fact, he, it was so important to God, he said twice from heaven, Behold my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Isn't that right? He was pleased. Christ fulfilled the law. He had no fault in him. He was sinless. And he became a tabernacle that God could dwell in. That's amazing to me. They say, preacher, what's so good about that? Well, let me show you. Watch this. He became flesh and blood, became the temple of God upon this earth. He is in his flesh. He and his flesh had three rooms, body, soul, and spirit. He was sinless and perfect, thus fit tabernacle for the dwelling place of God. But now he's in heaven. God now dwells in individual believers, and the church is the body of Christ as a whole. His desire is for us as the body of Christ, as individual believers, to open our entire being up to him. Body, soul, and spirit. Now, you say, preacher, how do you know? Know some of the progression. So let's start with the body. Now, the body is pictured as the outer court. It's the outer court that everybody could see. Went to the holy place. Now, I know, I know there was the, the, I know there was the fence of white men. I understand that. But anything that could be seen was in the outer court. Went to the holy place. There's walls around you. Holy, holy, walls around you. That outer court's what was seen. That's our flesh. That's our body. Now you say, preacher, what's God interested in our body? Well, let's look at what the scripture said. Body is always the place of sacrifice. Sacrifice takes place in the outer court, the only visible part of the tabernacle. Here's what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, now listen to this, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. 
body always deals with sacrifice. Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, watch this, which is your reasonable service. Here's what Paul said. Paul said, if you're going to make him king of all your life, first thing you have to do, you have to give him your body. You have to present your body a living sacrifice. Now, he's not interested this evening in you. He didn't say a sacrifice. He said a living sacrifice. Heard an old preacher say one time, and boy, it stuck with me. He said, the problem with a living sacrifice, he said, every time you lay down the altar, get up and crawl off. You ain't real careful. All right? That's why Paul said, I die daily. Every day, Kirk, we have to make a conscious decision that we're going to give our body to the Lord. Now I understand. I'm not saying that we ought not we ought not go and work. I'm not saying I, I realize we have things that we have to do. But here's what the Bible said. The Bible said, whatever you, you find to do, do it with all your might as unto the Lord. Isn't that right? We ought to be every day or get up and say, Lord, if you can do something with my body, it's yours. If you I'm gonna present my body to you as a living sacrifice. This flesh, this this strength, this that you've given me, I'm going to give it to you. And I, I, I want to do something for you. And Paul said, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. Here's what Paul said. That's just reasonable. Yeah. That's not going above and beyond. That's just reasonable. And he said, Bridget, how do you get that? Well, I want you to do me a favor. I want you to pay attention to me just a minute. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to do like this right here. Everybody go. That breath you just sucked in, that came from the Lord. Yeah, right. All right? Do it one more time. Come from the Lord. I wonder how many times we do that a day. I wonder how many times we go, and don't even think about it. Yeah, right. I mean, it never crosses our mind. That come from the Lord. Talk about how many times we've done that in a year, 10 years, 20 years, in a lifetime. It ought to just be our reasonable service. Give our body to the Lord. Yeah. All right. He blessed us. Talk about feel your heart sometime. Feel it go. Boom, boom, boom. That comes from the Lord. I, I, there's nothing right now, brother, that I'm doing to make my heart beat. You know that? I can't. I couldn't stop it. I can't start it back. I can't get it back in rhythm. There's not a thing I can do to control that. I just have to trust every, and I don't think about it, Kurt. I don't wake up. I know some of you might. You may have any fear or something like that, but I don't get up every day and say, what if my heart's beating right? I just trust that it is. You know why? Because as far as I know, it is, and it always has been. That's a gift from the Lord. Now, it's, just, it's just reasonable if he's been that good to me that I'd be willing to present my body a living sacrifice. We're not, we don't have to die and go to hell. That's enough for our child to just present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto the Lord, which is your reasonable service. So in the outer court, we see a picture of our body. It's where sacrifice is made. But then the holy place, the outer court pictures our body of the believer. The holy place reveals this picture of the soul of the believer. It is the place of worship. We see the priest at the table of showbread, eating of the bread of life, walking the line of the golden candlestick, praying and interceding at the altar of incense. It's the soul from which comes our worship, affection, emotions, and fellowship. With me? It's from our soul that comes our worship. When you this morning, 
When they several of you, I, I don't know who all was, but several of you, you, you think about people in your life have been impacted. I saw several of you wiping tears. You know where that came from? That came from your soul. It's what separates us from them, them goats, John. The, the, now, everybody's come and said, oh, they love you. and that they'll follow. You know why they follow me around? I'm the one who goes out there every morning with a bucket, pours feed in the trough. Yeah. They follow me around because they think they might get food. And they have a natural instinct to know they need food. Right. But you want me to tell you a secret? I could sell every one of them today. Get about two days, they'd be following around whoever I sold it to as long as they could feed them. Right? And I ain't never sold one. I ain't never sold a dog or nothing that they sat around for weeks moping and whining and complaining because their sister was sold or their no, they're, they're, they don't have emotions. They don't have they don't have that soul that you and I do. It's the very seat of our emotions. It's the seat of our worship. It's the seat of our affection. And in fact, here's what the Bible said: When the Holy Ghost announced to Mary that she'd be the mother of the Redeemer. Here's what Mary said in Luke one four, verse forty six. Bible said, and Mary said, "My soul doth magnify the Lord." She didn't say my body. She didn't say my spirit. She said my soul. Doth magnify the Lord. That's what happened, and that's what happened in the whole place. That's what worship took place. Oh, you said, preacher, what are you saying? First thing you ought to do this morning, if you want to make, you make him the king of your life, you have to give him your body. You have to say, I, I was talking to, to a preacher the other day, and he told me, he said, he's, and I, I, I'm not being critical of this. I'm not. I, I've been there too. But here's what he told me. He said. He said, I'm getting so tired of running up and down the road. He said, I'm just, my body's wearing out. I, I'm so tired. I can't. And I, I, I know what he's saying. I've been there. But here's what I told him. I said, Paul said, your body you live in sacrifice of the Lord, holy, acceptable, which is your reasonable service. I said, as good as he's been to us, it ought to be our joy to run up and down the road. Yeah. Right? It ought to be our joy to go somewhere and preach. Get, I, I, I'm not being critical of it. I've been there. I've been times, you can ask him, I've been there times, I said, gosh, I'm so tired of getting home at midnight and eating supper at 11 o'clock and eating a burger going down the road. I'd just like to have a home-cooked meal. But it ought to be my joy to be able to present my body, a living sacrifice. That's the first step to making him king of your life. But then you ought to make him king of your soul. There ought to be a time Mary said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. That's where comes our worship. All right? And he wants access to all three. He wants your body. He wants you to sacrifice your flesh and sacrifice your time and sacrifice your strength to do something for him. But he also wants your soul. And I'm afraid somewhere along the way we've missed that. Somewhere along the way we, we've made worship something that's really not. Bible says, here, here's what Mary said. My soul doth magnify the Lord. That ought to be enough. Well, every one of us ought to go in our Bibles, if you write in it, and circle it about 12 times. Our, my soul doth magnify the Lord. You know what that means? She said, my soul's making him bigger. What mag take a magnifying glass. You take something small and you magnify it. It makes it bigger. Yeah. That's what our worship ought to do. It ought to exalt him. It ought to lift him up. It ought to magnify him. Yeah. It's most bogging down again. I don't know why. But that's what it ought to do. You stand up and have a test. I'm going to cover this in a new convert class for too much longer. Uh, but you testify. It ought to be bragging on him. Right. I've heard a lot of testimonies down through the years. People stand up and they'll say, well, me and my wife, we went to the grocery store the other day. There's a homeless man out there. and He wants some money. And I, and I had a 20 and a 5. And I give him the, who gives a rent? Who cares? You know what you want? You want somebody to come by and say, oh, you sure are a good man. You give a... 
I'm not interested in you magnifying, but you know what I like? I like when somebody stands up to the order of me in hell. I'm a no good, dirty, rotten yeah. sinner. But the God, God hit me with the God of all glory, loved me, and showed mercy and compassion and grace. And He saved my unworthy soul. Oh, that's what I like. That's magnifying Him. That's making you, John said, I must decrease, but He must increase. Isn't that right? It makes you a smaller, it makes Him bigger. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. That's what worship is this So we see in the holy place, we see the soul and it worship, the worship, the seat of our emotion, the seat of our affection, the seat of our worship. Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Then we notice the holy of holies. And I'm done. Right here, I'm done. Now, the holy of holies, it represents the spirit. The place of supreme adoration is the spirit. It's here that one enters alone and fellowship and has communion with the Lord. Of course, this picture of the Holy of Holies. There was never a time that two people were permitted to enter together in the Holy of Holies. The high priest must come alone. This time alone with God is the pinnacle of the Christian life. It is from this personal communion that the power of God comes. You know why you and I don't have the power of God like they did back in the 60s and 70s and 80s? I mean, honestly, we're too busy. What a problem it is. Back, back in the old days, John, they didn't have TV. They didn't have... I'm not, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with sports. I'm not saying that at all. They didn't have, they didn't have AAU basketball. They didn't have all this stuff. All they had, they had most of them had a little farm. And, and if it didn't rain, the only thing they could do, get out in the barn. We got behind the barn somewhere and beg God for it to rain. Yeah. They're right. John, he got sick. They didn't have 12 doctors they could call and three different hospitals and all these special. All, all they could really do is get up by a barn somewhere and beg God to do something. And they spent all that time alone with God, making him the king of their life. You know what it resulted from? It, the power of God. What happened? So that's what the Holy of Holies is. It's the time you get along with God. And the truth of the matter is, and I, I convicted my own self I, when I was studying this this week, I thought to myself, it's a crying shame uh, that I have to sit, that I have to sit down and say, this is the time that I'm going to try to get along with God. Had to almost pencil it in, John. And I'm going to get along with God somewhere. But that's where the power comes from. That's what, that's what the Christian life is all about. I'm thankful for this morning. We come in to the house of God and God sent a message our way. And we got, I got help and I trust you got help and I'm thankful for that. But I'll tell you where the power comes from. It's not from listening to the preacher preach three times a week. That's not where the power comes from. And it's not even from running the roads all over the place. I'll tell you what running the roads all over the place will do. That'll make you weary and bothered. Well, Paul said, be not weary and well doing. You, you sacrifice your flesh. That's, that causes you to be weak. That right? Yeah. You, that's right. We're, we're living with a lot of day with a lot of Christians. And boy, they, they can say amen at the right time and they can weep and rejoice. I, I'm going to pick on Allie just a minute. And I, I don't mean this ugly. Mute me just a second, Kenny.
And I said, but I want you to have a foundation that you can build on. All right? Yeah. I want you to have something you can build on, a solid foundation. Not just because I said you ought to believe this. I want to take a Bible and show you why we believe this. Yeah. All right? Now, tell you what I find our teenagers. They raised in church. They believe the King James Bible. They believe once saved, always saved. They believe all, they believe all the right stuff. And they go off to college somewhere and some, some, some long-tongued professor begins to question them why they believe that. And they don't know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They're right. And all they say is, well, that's what mom and daddy told me. That's what the preacher said. Well, that don't get you very far. Yeah. That's right. When you got a professor sitting there with three or four degrees and he's telling you you're, everything you've ever been taught is wrong and here's why, whether it's a lie or not, you just, somebody's telling you why, you're going to jump on it. So I don't want them just to grow up. And I don't want them just to be shy of Christians that are trying to present their bodies and trying to worship every once in a while. I want them to have some alone time with God where they've got a foundation. When something comes up, they say, no, I believe a King James Bible because of this. I believe in eternal security because of this. I believe this because of that. I believe this and I'm grounded in it. I'm foundational in it. That's what our goal ought to be. And all that comes out. I tell you where it comes from. I, I'm going to try my best to help you all down there class. I'm going to do my best to give you some foundation. But I'll tell you where it comes from. You stay in that Bible and you dig and you dig and spend some time alone with God. That's where the power comes from. That's where the foundation comes from. That's the pinnacle of the Christian life. What I said, I'm just being honest. I, I, I wasn't planning on being nowhere near this mean. And I'm not really being mean, but I wasn't planning, I was planning on just giving it to him quit and tell you what I find. <coughs> I find, and I, I'm not against church. I'm thankful for church. I'm thankful that God can meet with you and you have a great service. We had a great service this morning. But I'll be honest with you, that's not the pinnacle of my life. I'm not just sitting around waiting on God to show up on a Sunday morning to be able to spend some time with Him. You with me? I'm glad, thank God, access has been made. The veil's been rent. I can enter boldly into the throne room of God. The pinnacle's getting along with God. Some of the best times in my life, Kirk's not been in church. I've had some good times in church, but some of the best times in my life, some of the absolute life-changing, life-altering uh, experiences of my life has been riding in a road or out in a deer stand or in a pine thicket somewhere all alone with God. Uh, and all of a sudden, God just show up. Uh, amen, friend, that's right. Uh, and that's where the power comes from. Uh, we're, we're, we live in a generation where everybody He's waiting uh, for God to show up on Sunday morning. Now, I'm not being ugly, friend, uh, but that's not enough to get you through life. Yeah. It's just not. Watch this. This personal communication where the communion is where the power of God comes from. Let me say this. How often we allow ourselves to become so busy we fail to make time for communion with God alone. No wonder we live in a time where it seems the power of God is lacking. Let me say this. It's not the power of God that's missing it's the fact you and I just don't have it. Yeah. Go ahead. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm just being honest. It's not the fact that the power of God's weaker than it used to be. It's not even the fact the world's more wicked than it used to be. It's just the fact we don't have the power of God like it used to be. Yeah. We failed. Right. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But we're so guilty. I said the other morning, we're so guilty saying, well, it's somebody else's fault. It's somebody else's fault. Let me just be the one to stop by and say, we failed. Yeah. Somewhere along the way. We slacked up. We quit spending time with God. We sat back and uh, it, it's easy. And 
uh, we, we've all been guilty of this. We've all been guilty of saying, well, so-and-so, I saw the lady the other day, we was talking about a situation, we talking about a doctor, she asked me my opinion, I was telling her, and y'all know me, you ask me something like that, and I'll just go haywire on it. And here's what she told me, and I'm not being critical of her at all. She said, I've never had a pastor that would explain that to me. And it wasn't anybody in the church, it was somebody in a different church. She said, I've never had a pastor that would explain that to me. And I kindly almost let that give me the big head just for a little while. And I almost walked around and I thought, well, boy, I really helped her. And she must have really have some sorry pastors. And I'm not being critical of her at all. I'm not. I'm honest. I'm not. And here's what I thought. I thought, if she really wanted to know that, why didn't she just ask the Lord to show her? Yeah. I'm not, I, I, now, I know it's my job to feed the sheep. And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I should. I think I ought to, and I want to feed you, and I want to come in, and I, I love it. You can ask my wife. I, I Sometimes I get so excited waiting on Wednesday to get here or Sunday to get here. I just can't wait to come in and tell you what I've seen. I, there's nothing wrong with that. But you also get some stuff yourself. Yeah. Right. right. We're living in a generation where everybody wants to blame somebody else. Yeah. Maybe the truth of the matter is we just let it go somewhere along the way. Yeah. Maybe the truth is tonight, it's easy to say, well, I don't know this because nobody ever told me. Well, the Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Isn't that right? Right. Now, don't, don't, I'm not trying to be mean. I promise you. So, preacher, I certainly wish God moved like he used to. Well, maybe the fact is we're not spending enough time alone with him. Get the power of God. What a picture we said in the tabernacle. As Ark of Covenant pictures, pictures Christ is king. Tabernacle pictures us, pictures the believer. The Old Testament tabernacle, but now the Bible tells us that he indwells the believer. Out of courts our body. Holy places our soul. Holy of holies is our spirit. And he wants free access. All free. Yeah. In order to enter into the holy of holies, he's got to have access to your body. Got to have access to your soul. Then have access to your spirit. And that's where the power and the presence of God really yeah. That's been our desire all along to get there. I'm just telling you, that's how you have to do it. There's no way that you enter into the Holy of Holies without first going through the outer court, the holy place, through the veil, into the Holy of Holies. Only way to get there. That's the only way possible to get there. You got to give me your body, give me your soul, and ultimately your spirit. When you make him king of all, ultimate and total king of your life and your being that's where the power of God comes from that's the price this morning he said preacher I want the power of God I remember one time I'm not been ugly an old preacher I don't mean this critical but I very seriously doubt John he could explain that to me if he wanted to just an old mountain preacher couldn't hardly read but here's what he told me and he was right told me one day I said preacher young, I was a young preacher about 10 years ago now I said, Preacher, I, I want the power of God so bad. How do I get it? What he told me, it'll cost you everything you got. Yeah. What it cost me. You got to make him Lord of all. That's the 